you so much for being here. Um, we've got a fantastic lineup of guests today, talking about really quite different ways of growing your business. Um, it's going to be fun, a bit informal, and you must stay to the end because we have got a surprise and very tasty treat from one of our, our panellists. But we're starting today with um, Ashton Hunt from Tees. He is on stage. He's come from almost his hospital bed. He's had a hip operation, but he had to be here, which I like. Uh, Tees is an ever-expanding legal and financial firm. They were founded in 1913, and they have six offices in the region, 325 members of staff, and have grown to a turnover of 22 million. Um, and the growth is just not about excellent service and knowledge, but by merging with other like-minded businesses. Now, mergers and acquisitions are in a fantastic way of really growing the business very, very rapidly, isn't it? Um, so we're just going to look a little bit around what it takes to do a merger and acquisition and what you need to look into. So thank you for being here, Ashton. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> of, thank you for inviting me. You've seen him on crutches. He's, he's very dedicated. <laughs> um, so a little bit about what, does, what sets T's apart. Um, I think the thing about Tees is, the thing that everybody always says about Tees is what a nice, friendly place it is. People come to us generally with problems in their lives, whether it's legal or financial. Um, coming to you with a problem, you know, is a problem that needs solving. And if you can come to somebody who gives you the assurance that you're in good hands, that you're in a nice, friendly place, that you've got really deep insight and expertise that can help you through it, and most importantly, you get the job done, then I think that that's, uh, that's the hallmark of what Tease is all about. And so when you, you've recently merged with local firm Mortley Buyers, and I think people think, oh, you, just, you, know, you can just do a merger, but it's, it's not that easy. You have to really look at your values being aligned, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the most important thing, particularly in, we're a people business. We don't have machines spitting out all sorts of widgets and what have you. It's a people business. Um, and so making sure that your cultures are aligned is a really critical part of getting it right. Now, the first part of that is knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you actually understand the essence, what I like to call the essence of teas for us, is really, really key because I think a lot of businesses um, don't necessarily understand exactly what makes them unique. Because all of your businesses are unique. They're unique for your clients, they're unique for the people who work with you. Um, but actually being very clear in your own mind about what that uniqueness is, the essence of your business, gives you the foundation to then go and meet with other potential partners, other potential merger partners, to start to, those, to have those conversations about, is there likely to be a good fit? So when you, you thought that maybe Wortley Buyers was a good fit and you, your, your ethos and values aligned, how, long, how do you start the negotiations and how long does the merger actually take? Uh, it takes a long, long time. time. <laughs> yeah, it takes a long time. I mean, the, the, our merger with Wortley Buyers formally uh, went live on the 1st of January this year. Um, but in truth, our first conversation happened almost two years ago to the day. So we were almost 18 months in conversation. Um, and so much of that was about testing the values, testing the cultural fit. We tend to operate um, with three basic questions. I mean, due diligence is a big part of doing any acquisition or merger. And, there are lots of technical aspects of that, and obviously seeking the right advice to support in that is, is critical. But again, coming back to the point for us, we're a people business. And so we look at um, three really pretty basic questions that, that are fundamentally important to get right. First of those is, do we like them? So spending time with people and actually getting to know them and, and saying, actually, these are the sort of people that we actually like. The second thing is, is there a cultural fit? Are our values, are our expectations of what good looks like, 
are they broadly aligned? And the third thing is, actually, can we work with them? Because there are lots of people in life that you like and you, you're culturally aligned, but you probably wouldn't want to work with because for various reasons. So if we can answer um, in the positive all three of those questions, then we've got the basis of something that we can then get into some of the more technical aspects of, of a merger discussion uh, that need to happen. But so you really, you're really going to get that culture. Yeah. Right? It's not just about going, oh, I want that business, I can merge or yeah. acquire them. It's about making sure, because you're taking, it's, again, it's people, you're taking on yeah. staff. I mean, right? these, these are about long-term commitments. You know, the way that we've always done business in Tees is about looking for the long-term relationship, the depth in the relationships that we have. Going back to our, you know, our history, we've got clients who have been with us through multiple generations, back from 1913 through to the present day, and it's, it's that depth in the relationship, the, the long-term uh, view of the world that I think is critical to our business model. So therefore, investing the time to get the, the merger right with a view that actually, it's gonna be tough. Mm. You know, and particularly the, 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 the early part of, of coming together, whilst you think that you've got a strong cultural alignment, in the end, it's a big change. It's a massive change for those who were previously owners running the business. It's a big change for the people working in the business. Uh, so you know you're going to go through a sort of cycle of change and that, what they call the emotional cycle of change. But in the end, if you're looking for a long-term, really positive partnership and a long-term fit that works, all that pre-prep work pays off and you get through the sort of speed bumps, as I like to call them, along the way for and that long-term vision. Because I've actually looked into a few acquisitions, haven't come off, but I didn't realise quite how powerful you have to have your values aligned. I thought you'd probably be more about finance and due diligence no. and the legal side, but it's a, if you're taking on people, and all businesses have people, no matter yeah. what they're making or doing, isn't it? So Absolutely. That whole, and it's a, it's a fantastic way to grow a business, because there's no way T sort of grow into, no. you know, this sort of 22 million turnover if you'd just been trying to grow your business organically, yeah. would you? No, I mean, you know, our strategy um, for the last 10, 12 years most of which predate me, I've been with the firm for four years, has been about a growth strategy. In our industry in particular, it is about scale. You know, the, the burden of regulation and the overheads and all the rest of it, the bigger you are, the more you can spread those across your, you know, productive elements, you know, for us, the solicitors and the uh, financial advisors. So big is better in our industry. You can do it organically and we'll hear lots of uh, other interesting input about the organic piece and we've done a lot of that. But the, the mergers do give you that big step change. It gives you a step change in terms of your finances. It gives you a geographical reach that you can't do, or is very difficult to do by yourself, mm -hmm. to do it organically. Um, and, you know, it, it, if you get it right, it can add skill sets that, again, is difficult to build um, sort of organically more, or more challenging to do organically. So there are a number of reasons why it works, and certainly the the merger that's happened here in Brentwood for us, bringing on board uh, Wortley Buyers, very strong business-to-business -business, um, reputation in Brentwood. Um, Tees predominantly uh, elsewhere is private client-centric. We were building a, a, a big presence in Chelmsford on the business-to-business -business side, so fitting together Brentwood and Chelmsford on the A12 axis geographically is fantastic. And of course, well, we've, we've heard already about what a great place Brentwood is to do business. So it's worked really well for, for both sides of the merger. Brilliant, thank you so much. I think, again, acquisitions and mergers are something that people don't consider as a way of growing a business, but I think Tease is showing how to do it and do it very, very well, so thank you. Thank you. Um, my next guest is not only good looking, 
He's the nicest person you could meet. Had to put that in there. Uh, he's inspired and create a creative graphic designer who counts Sony as one of his clients. Uh, he left his London job to be a freelancer and then decided to use his talents to grow the business and becoming a leading creative brand agency in Brentwood in the area. He now heads up a team of eight people. He's based in the heart of Brentwood. He has won awards not only for business but also for his design. He's got a deep-rooted community values. And, and please, welcome to the stage, the creative genius, the Mr Ideas, that is Matt Barry. Come on up, Matt. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Thank you. He's all embarrassed. Flattery will get so you uh, But yeah, I think this is a really, really relatable story because you had a, oops, you had a, you were a graphic designer, you had a good job in, in London and you went, no, I want to go on my own. I think this is, is what a lot of people do. So what made the jump from leaving a job to being a freelancer? Well, I mean, it was mainly towards looking towards family, looking towards my peers and what they were doing. I'd spent many years at leading agencies in London and thought, now's the time for me to go alone and also just to spend a bit more time at home, being able to see my girls grow up, because I was missing it all. Yeah, you know, there's long hours um, uh, working in, in, in agencies in London. So, yeah, set up at the end of the garden in a, uh, uh, an office and started to, to pick up work. I had a couple of contacts through various freelance opportunities that I previously had. And things were sort of ticking over quite nicely. So what? Because uh, that's something a lot of people do. They work in their, you know, their back bedroom or down in the garden, shed or whatever. Uh, when did you actually have that light bulb moment and said, if I'm really going to create a business more than just being a freelancer, I need to grow, get offices and take on staff? How, how did that come about? Well, it all happened probably a lot, well, a lot quicker than I was expecting. And you'd be amazed at the, the amount of people that came out of the woodwork as soon as they realised that I was freelancing uh, and I was available. Then they wanted to, some clients that I'd already worked with previously, come over and actually, you know, use our services or use my services. And we got to the point where I was turning work away um, and I was sort of working silly hours again, mm. albeit still at home. <laughs> You're at home, but you're still um, kids. And I thought, well, this is, this is silly. I've built up a reputation and I've built up contacts and I'm just throwing them away. If I don't give it a go now, if I don't start to build something, I'll probably regret it. So we've always built it on being uh, organic growth. And so we sl slowly started to build uh, the staff. It was getting a little bit cosy at the end of the garden when we had three or four of us at some, uh, some junctions, uh, uh, some juncture uh, coming to the end of the garden. And then that's when we decided we've now got offices across the road. Um, and, uh, and we've been slowly, and, but gradually, um, building organically um, uh, uh, to the team that we've got now. So the difficulty is when, obviously, this, the work came to you, which is fantastic, but they wanted, they didn't want Blue Serif, they wanted Matt Barry. And actually, as you grow, there's still only one of you, and you've got all the creative ideas. How do you transition from people saying, I want you, to saying, well, I'm a team. How, how do you make that happen so that people don't feel shortchanged? Well, it's about involving the team and it's about growing their experience and their knowledge, not only obviously of the clients, um, and involving them in a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we're, we, you know, we're all um, together in the office and we're all sharing ideas. And uh, we've had a number of opportunities. Um, uh, one of our team members went on maternity leave. So that was a challenge in itself. You know, we've not had that, 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 uh, that experience yet. Um, but it meant that it gave some of the younger team members the opportunity to 
to actually um, move up to, to be able to have more of liaison with uh, the clients and to make decisions from themselves and grow their confidence as well as also expanding their, their expertise. So it's about sharing that and giving everyone that opportunity um, and also seeing in the team how their skill sets can, can really develop to help you know, create the company and help expand the different areas. Um, you know, we've got, um, we've expanded into UI and UX sort of digital expertise. Um, yeah, sorry. So yeah, user <laughs> interface dragon. and user experience. So it's looking at websites and looking at how the users uh, interact with them and how design plays a really important uh, role in creating that digital experience. And you know, some of the team members have, have really taken that on board. And so they've you know, put more feathers in their cap as well. Because uh, if you've got the end goal, as you say, you kind of just grow. Now, actually, so team members come and, and likes this part of the business, and you're growing it. Have you, have you got an end goal? Do you know where you're going with it, or is it just having fun growing the place at the moment? I think it is having fun growing the place, um, and I think we're really true to our values and sort of taking yeah, on really what you were together. saying. And community is is a big part for us. We've realised that Brentwood traditionally isn't a creative hub, so getting um, the staff and getting uh, long-term commitment from, from staff has always been a bit tricky. But we've adapted the business around the staff, um, and we've grown, and they've provided a hell of a lot of loyalty to me for some reason. Um, and uh, they've, you know, we've built that. So we've built a lovely hub, but we've also built that community. And also, the range of clients that we have, both international clients, uh, you mentioned Sony, we've got clients in America and Australia, but also the local clients and building that up. And we want to build, continue building that up. Um, so you have got aspirations to make Brentwood a really creative hub and start pulling together. Because we're only half an hour from London, so why can't it be as more of a satellite area of creativity? Absolutely. There's so much creativity in London, uh, in Brentwood, sorry, and there's obviously yeah. loads in London. But um, really showing that beacon um, and, of creativity in Brentwood, it's there. It's a matter of sort of bringing it together, really harnessing it, and showing that there's you know, together with a lot of other support um, uh, uh, businesses like yourselves, um, uh, that actually for other businesses to come here, they've got a great marketing creative support that they can rely on, that they can help build their brands, develop their brands locally. Um, so kind of exciting, the Brentwood part business, what was it called? It's the Brentwood, <laughs> the Brentwood Development, Development Partnership. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so hopefully we can really make this a hub, and I say as London kind of keeps growing, and there's no reason, I, I love that idea that you, and you're involved in the art trail and quite a lot of community events, so you're, you're growing the business, but from a really good place as well, I think, isn't it? Yes, and I think for us, we've always been conscious that education is key. Um, as we're growing the staff and getting them um, uh, developed, then it's also about the next generation. So we're doing lots in schools. We're, um, we're working with the Ursuline on an app project. We do some work experience with Havering College, um, with other schools locally, and hoping to inspire the next generation. It also obviously helps us. It builds awareness up of Blue Serif so that if they're inspired, they know that they've got a place that they can actually... London is not just the one and only opportunity for creative sector. Brentwood can be as well. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. Thank you so, so much. We haven't got that much time. We've got to get into our next guest. 
Just the next guest, she is a truly inspirational woman. She's not only survived both brain and breast cancer, the effects of treatment on her immune system spurred her on to invent her very own gluten-free bread recipes. Her bread packs are sold all over the world. She's won multiple bread making and business awards. She's just opened a commercial bakery. There is no stopping this woman. Um, please welcome to the stage inventor, inspiration, award-winning, that is Davina, the bread lady, Steele. Did you give me that one? Thank you. Come sit down. So, we'll just touch on your backstory because we haven't got a lot, haven't got time to go through it all, but you, you've had a really tough 10 to 15 years before and you've survived and that's absolutely amazing. So, and that kind of inspired the, the gluten-free bread, didn't it? It did. It's been quite a roller coaster. that's fair to say. As my background is a scientist and nutritionist, and I absolutely adore food, always have done, um, when I found I couldn't eat gluten-free bread, or gluten bread, sorry, um, I was looking for it in shops, and the stuff was pretty grim, pretty dry and crumbly and horrible, and chem chemicals in it and stuff. So I felt like I was moaning to my husband that I can't eat nice bread, and his sympathy was about there, really. Tough, <laughs> tough love, they call it, I think. And he said, you're a scientist, nutritionist, you're always in the kitchen. If you can't sort it out, then you know, nobody can. So was this just, initially you were just saying, I want to I eat some decent bread, yeah. and you just were in your kitchen playing around with recipes and, and, and just trying to create something that you could eat for yourself? I, yeah, I started the usual way, by copying everyone else's recipes, and I wasn't getting anywhere. I thought I should go back to my roots. So I studied the structure and function of wheat. That sounds quite geeky, but that's what I did. <laughs> what, what, it, helped, what it comprises. <laughs> um, and then I tried to get all the different gluten-free ingredients, natural ingredients with no chemicals, to emulate that. Maybe how, long, how long did it take? Oh, probably about nine months. Wow. I wasn't doing it full time, yeah, so yeah, I was still yeah. working at that time. But then and at what point do you think, ah, oh, actually, I can create something, because there's so many people with different stories of why they can't eat gluten. Mm. There's, you know, there's people's bad celiac disease mm. as well. So wouldn't you say, actually, there might be a market for this? I wasn't even thinking that at the time. I'd taken it to my nutrition clients and around a few local farm shops and delis just to see if what the feedback was going. And my husband and I said, let's do a food, f food festivals. Oh, so it wasn't, there wasn't a big business idea? You just thought you'd just... Uh, oh, I didn't plan this business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a business plan after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, eventually. Know. But at first it was just you wanted to share what It kind doing. of happened upon me rather than me going for it at the start. Um, so I made this great bread, finally cracked it, I thought, and I saw this competition called the World Bread Awards. So I thought I'd do a cheeky little entry. And I got three medals. Ah. Oh, okay. What did you get the medals in? Um, it was for the three different breads, mm -hmm. yeah, for, for the gluten-free category. Um, so I got gold, silver, and a bronze. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> Getting a bit good. more well, good because bread making. had gone because of the, all the yeah. treatment and stuff. So I thought, oh, feeling a bit cheeky here. And there was another competition to win fifty thousand of seed funding. Okay, I can do this. So I entered. I got through to the shortlist, and I literally just turned up with a loaf of bread and an idea, and pitched. And got funding. <laughs> oh, so it wasn't. It was just kind of the luck of it coming along that you got. It, you, had, you obviously had a very good product and you developed it, but it wasn't this big goal that you were going to take I over the world of gluten this free. At all, no, <laughs> it really hasn't. I love this. It's, it's, it's sounds so awful. It's quite so, it so awful because everyone's supposed to have such a big plan ahead. Obviously, I had to do sort out my mm. business plan and staff and everything else after that. But um, so I got the seed funding, and that was that went towards more product development. 
um, branding, so how would you mean, mock I mean, research. I think having art is in food company, how difficult is it? So I've got this product, it's a good idea, someone believes in me, it's given me funding, but how do you actually get it onto shelves? Because I mean, you sell packs of, you make your own bread at home, don't you? That's how it started, because we just couldn't afford a bakery. Everyone was asking for final baked product, but that's a big investment. Mm -hmm. We have got that. We have used a lot of our pensions in addition to the investment, but um, so we thought, okay, kits and mixes, and that's really good because they're so easy to make. Mm -hmm. So we're pleased with that. They're going very well. They're in Sainsbury's at the moment. Uh, Co-op. So Ricardo, if you it's in Sainsbury's, but you don't just, Sainsbury's doesn't come to you and want to buy your bread mixes, oh, do they? Oh, tell <laughs> buyers, please. I hope there's none here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long and difficult, so how, how do you even knock on the door? Um, you try to get introductions if you can't. I know that um, one of the guys that we've taken on was the sales director from Tiptree, Wilkin and Son. Mm -hmm. um, so he came to us having all his friends and colleagues about many years who are buyers. But what happens is you spin about, you know, he had contacts. If I'd phoned up and said, I'm Davina, they go, oh, sorry, they're not available for six months. You know, yeah. he phones up and they say, oh, come for coffee. <laughs> Door opening, <laughs> good thing. <laughs> you know, um, but the number of times you go through all the loops and I go there. Get all excited. It's make bread in front of yeah. them and give them samples so that they can take them home and see how they are. And they go, yes, 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 we're going to take it, we're going to take it, give us your commercials. And then the buyer leaves and they take a new buyer. And you have to start all over again. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened. So how long does it take from starting to open doors to actually getting your stuff on the shelves? For the small guys, it could be two weeks. You know, mm. The big guys, we're in much more of a hurry than they Well, we've got, they've got to delist somebody to put us on their oh. shelves. So oh. they can't just say, go away next week. They've got to kind of plan so then, ahead. So you're selling it in the supermarkets, and then so now you've just bought a commercial bakery, haven't you? Yeah, we've got so, more investments, so we're able to do that. Just, I just hope it's been tough, but it's going, how's the commercial bakery going? Fantastic. When we moved in, it was derelict because it had been empty for about six months. It was a previous bakery and we were going to go in and clean up and it was the most grim sight you could ever see. Thought about walking away, but no, we worked <laughs> hard for this. <laughs> so now we have a beautiful bakery, we've got two great bakers. Um, and it's 100% gluten free, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And if you want to, we have got a surprise from Davina, if you can start to guess what it might be if you stay to the end. And they are delicious, I've had one already. Um, so what's, what's going to happen now? Like, what's your plan? So you've kind of, you've, I mean, this is, this is a pretty good artisan food story, isn't it? That you've managed mm. to get it into supermarkets and you've got your own bakery. Mm. So, so what's going to be next? Next, okay. Um, we are just launching, because we've got the baked products now, we've, the people who are taking our kits and mixes have said they will take the baked products. That's mm -hmm. great. Uh, we have long shelf life snacks and things and obviously flash frozen other things because we can't deliver fresh bread every day. Um, and that's all fun and dandy. But now we can deliver to um, hotels, coffee chains. So there's a big market for the hotels. Corporates. The gluten-free you know, bread. Yeah, and, bespoke, and it is delicious. Work it is as well. Really Sorry. I, mean, I didn't bring any bread today, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's, it's biscuits, it's good. Um, fantastic. So, so you just, just very briefly had a few issues around branding, didn't you? And then you kind of... Oh, gosh, we had oh, a, yeah. a whole can of worms. That, but your yeah. initial branding wasn't really quite right. And I think it's important to, if you are putting something to market, to get it done, but then actually have the courage to say, we need to change. Yeah, the initial branding and the company we were working with were... It ended in us having to take them to court, unfortunately. It didn't get as far as court and before mm -hmm. this settled, but I didn't like conflict. That was really tough. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, financially that was difficult at the time. Um, 
But we found this fantastic chap who, who's just like you were at the start, working on his own. He just mentioned it right inside my head, knew exactly what we were looking for. And we work so well together now. He's created an amazing brand that all the bigger, the bigger retailers wouldn't touch our stuff before. Wow. So and there is go, the power. That branding is strong. You'd probably be with Davina on this Absolutely. with you, mate. Yeah. Stuff inside the boxes a huge is difference. exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's the brand that sold it. Amazing. I just yeah. love the story. I love the way that um, it was so random and just kind of happened. But um, And I think when you told me the story that being able to see little kids who are really gluten intolerant, being oh, able to actually... Oh, it's so cute. When they come to the festivals with their parents, the parents are saying to the other children, no, don't touch, don't touch, because that's, you know, they take the celiac one or the gluten intolerant one out with the other kids. Everyone can eat anything. They go, you can't have anything today. <laughs> no, Davina to the rescue. <laughs> I know, I know. And they come and taste it and they run back to the, mum, mum, come and taste this one, come and taste this one. Yes. Oh, amazing, <laughs> amazing. I say, artists and food, I think, could be wonderful thing to get. So thank you. thank you. Anyway, my final guest and actually took on the mantle of his family business. In the last 47 years, Baker Labels has seen huge changes in the way labels are printed and manufactured. Um, Steve has stayed ahead of the game for investment not only in cutting-edge technology, but importantly in his people. Um, he's the only business I know that even has their own chief happiness officer. Um, please welcome to the stage the kind-hearted, the very clever, and the all a bit charming, Steve Baker. <laughs> Do you like my introduction? Fantastic, I love it. <laughs> Come on, sit down, thank, thank you. you. Um, this is an interesting stat. Family businesses, people, a lot of people go into business with family and friends. If for every family or friend that you have on business if you're starting, starting out, you have a 30% more chance of it failing, it's not a good thing to do, and only 10% of businesses last more than 19 years. So you're kind of bucking the trend there, Steve. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did you, you worked with your dad when you're quite, you know, when you sort of left school and things. Have you always been with Baker Labels? Always, Always. Yeah, is all the you only know? job I've done. Um, yeah, when your father starts a business, um, if you want to see him, you know, it's a bit <laughs> like you, you want him to see your daughters. Um, I used to have to go to work with him at the weekends. So I started when I was about, you know, 11, 12, doing that at the weekends, and then school holidays, and then so on, and the rest of it is just uh, just a bit of a blur, really. So it's, it was, it was always what you were going to do? Go. Pretty much so. It was, it was difficult, because in the early days, you know, you're, you're, you know, my dad was fighting to, to keep the business going. So you sort of get, you get caught up in the business, and then you get good at it, and then if you want to go off and do something else, you know you're going to be, you know, going to have a big effect on that business by not being there. So did you go off and do something else? No. <laughs> You've <laughs> got the I perfect to. son, aren't I, you? I yeah. did want to a couple of times, but you know, it's uh, you know, you, you find other things to do, and um, you know, and, and long term, it, it, it's paid off. Now, you know, not just now, but for the last thirty years, you know, I've absolutely loved it. You know, mm. I really enjoy what we do. Um, you know, I love the building of the business. I love the people. Um, I love the product, I love the customers, you know, it's, it's, just, um, it's just a great place to be. You know. It's really interesting because I've photographed there, and it, how many staff have you got now? Uh, 95, I oh, think now. Almost 100, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big business. We did business. get to 98, and Mandy was like getting <laughs> Can twitchy. Can we just employ a couple of people making it three <laughs> yeah, figures, yeah. But, um, and as these businesses grow, it's so difficult to keep that family feel, but there is quite a remarkable, and as you, you know, even on the stage, we're talking about people, aren't we? That's how you grow a business. And, and it does feel like it could almost just be 10 people working there, the way that it's, it's a family, isn't it? It's, yeah, it is very much so. I mean, everybody says to me at the beginning, you know, 
don't employ family and friends. Um, our whole business is built on family and friends. Um, you know, the, the only one that didn't survive was my sister right in the early days. <laughs> that, that, didn't go, that didn't go too well. But, um, but apart from that, it is Because you employ families within your, within your staffing. That's right, yeah. We've got, you know, we have married couples uh, we've now got in the business. Um, but it's, um, I mean, it's, it's not just a random thing of anyone that we know can come yeah, along yeah. and join us. But um, we do tend to start them young because we need... Um, you know, we need uh, sort of extra hands during the holiday periods, and so we, we get a lot of guys, you know, our boys came to Brentwood School, um, so, you know, we have a, a lot of their mates, you know, used to come along during the school holidays. Um, a few of those are now working with us full time, um, so they, they come in that way. We have sons, daughters might come in, you know, that we've got a couple of our guys have been there for, um, you know, 30 years, and one of our chaps, his son is now working with us, um, he's on an apprentice program. And, and that I like as well, because I think if, if your staff want to bring their family in, it's, you know, it shows that there's the, the so strength you, of the company. If people are thinking of going to business, because you've got Mandy, your wife, who works with you as well. Chief Happiness she's Officer. She's Chief Happiness Officer, but she's involved in the finance as well, isn't she? Uh, she is, yeah. yes. Yeah. And your son's working there. So is there any top tips if you kind of, because I, um, well, I got divorced over my reverse <laughs> business, so I wouldn't highly recommend family, but it's working for you. Um, so... Have you got any top tips for how you manage that? Um, well, I suppose my son being the, the most recent um, sort of, uh, member to join, um, I think really it's, it's allow them to, to grow and develop. It's, it's, it's no good being, um, yeah, my father was very much, you know, you, you've got to start off with cleaning the toilets and painting the, the walls and things like that, sweeping the floors. That's all old hat now. The, you know, the, 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 you know, the kids coming through are, are normally very smart, um, yeah, they're, um, they're a, it's a completely different generation and so they've got skills that we can't even imagine. So um, with Harry especially, yeah, it's, it's allowing him to develop. Um, he's actually now um, looking to create a, a, a Baker um, Academy within the company because we, we realise that it's... Um, where are we getting that next generation from? You know, how are they going to really know our business and understand it? It's a niche business. It's not as if there's, um, there's not a college course out there that's learning our business. So, so we've got to train from within. Um, and I think that's, that's the key thing, is, is allowing your people to develop. You know, allowing, you know, if it's family members, allowing them to develop, not laying down hard and fast rules. Yeah. That's amazing. And so... Because manufacturing, I know you, you print labels, but it's quite as good like manufacturing, isn't it? Like it's been, it must mean so many changes. Yeah. And um, I do know that you like buying a few toys, don't you? He's got this beautiful factory full of these fancy machines that do all sorts of different um, labelling. Yeah. But has, has there been a deliberate growth on that? Have you kind of, or is it just as the industry keeps developing, you all just keep changing? Um, no, very much so. It is a deliberate growth. Um, it's yeah, we we choose the 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 niche new ideas that are coming out. Um, we're a trade printer, so our main customer base is, um, is other label printers, print brokers, print management companies. Um, and so if there's, if there's a new idea, new equipment comes along, we know that um, most companies will only have a percentage of work that they can, they can use that equipment for. But because we're dealing with the trade, we want all these small percentages from these companies. And so, you know, so we don't have sales guys that are out there. You know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, we have internal sales. So our, 
our growth is we invest in new equipment, we promote the fact that we've got that equipment, and then people come to us because they need to use that equipment. Because you're quite, you're quite niche and you're quite Absolutely, high in stuff. Yeah. Have you ever thought about mergers or acquisitions? Um, we've bought a couple of companies along the way, but it's always been small areas where companies are failing and or people want to retire, and it's been that. It's, it's never not been anything big. Um, in fairness, we get approached probably once a week for people that want to buy us. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So, uh, so what stops you from doing that? You love I it, love too, it much. too much. <laughs> I love it too much, yeah. And I do, and I think at the end of the day, you know, what are you going to do, you know, so it's... Well, uh, I guess you, you must bit. have a, you know, you're close to 100 staff. You have a huge duty of care to those people, don't 100%. you? And you probably know yeah. that if someone who's wanting to throw some money at you and buy your company, they probably, there's a it chance they haven't got your yeah. same values, is that? That's they? right, yeah. And... Um, it's that is the hardest bit is the loyalty to the staff you know i've got one guy he's 40 40 years he's been with us his anniversary was you know just recently and you know another two that are 31 at 33 probably five or six at 25 it's you know they've given an awful lot oh. to me you know they give me that loyalty they give me you know all those years of hard work you can't just walk away from that just because somebody dangles a paycheck you know it's not um that's, that's not what I'm in it for, you know. And I do love it. I, do, you know, does, I love it. It's a hobby, so <laughs> it's, um, you know, if you find, what, you know, find something you love, you never work Every another day, day yeah. So it's, uh, that's where I'm at. I love <laughs> so that, sir. I love that you good. just are so dedicated. And I think the whole theme, isn't it, through this is all about people. And, and no matter what size, it's about growing your team. And, and really people looking after young, growing up from the, the ground up and growing young people is brilliant. Yeah. Any questions? I hope you all enjoy that. It's been just, I love the way we've got just so many different people. There's different ways of growing your business um, and, and how you develop it. It could just be randomly just doing it like Davina or, or much more planned growth like they did at Tees. But have we got any questions? Go on. Don't be shy. Yes, Mr. Reid. I think question mainly for Matt and Steve. I mean, I love what you guys do in community, but as a business, you've still got to make money. How do you keep that balance going in supporting community, but still paying the bills? Uh, well, um, it can be tricky, um, but there's so much more to it. Um, the, the business obviously needs to run, um, but it by building the business up to a certain point, we've been able to free up time elsewhere um, to be able to do those community things. And we see it as, a, uh, as an investment as well, because it is investing in, you know, if we're doing stuff with the education side, it's investing in, in potential new staff. Um, and it's also awareness of us as, as, a, as a company and as a brand uh, and as a service provider. Um, but I think... The thing is, with the community stuff, it's much like Steve said, I love what I do. I'm really <laughs> lucky. And I'd like to think that the, the team also love what they do. And we're ideas peoples, and we're, we, we just get out and we'll do different things in the community because we love what we do. And, uh, and that keeps us ticking over. So that's how I say it. I think um, we... Our community side of things is, is not really so much um, involvement. It's, it, it, it more is, is down to donations. You know, we support a lot of the charities. Uh, SNAP, we support Kids Inspire. Um, probably one of the best things I think we did was um, donating to the food bank um, last Christmas, and we've, we've taken them on as they're going to be a, a regular um, 
you know, a regular one of our, our companies that we donate to. But um, it's that that was good. Yeah, we got the probably half of the company went down and helped carry all the food in because we were surprised just how far two thousand pounds worth of food goes and how just many how vehicles you need and yeah, how many boxes and how long that took to deliver. Um, unfortunately, I was a little bit overwhelmed with how much stock they suddenly had as well. But it was, uh, but no, that that went well and and. That made a big effect, big impact on the staff. You know, they were um, they talked about that for a long time. Uh, we do know that some of our staff have, have now um, got involved with some other voluntary work on the back of that. You know, so it's um, so almost the, the idea once they started doing something giving that they actually that inspired them to go and do more. Absolutely, work. yeah, That's absolutely. Incredible. And we've had all the charities, um, you know, come in when we have a, a company meeting and they explain, you know, where the, maybe the funds have gone. The type of work they're doing, um, and and I think that 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 has a, a major difference on on the staff. You know, they um, they see because we, we have this thing we talk about the baker's bubble that everything within our company because you, you are looked after if you come into our place. You know, you, everything you need you get given, and it's it's all there. And um, yeah, some people don't tend to look too far outside that bubble, and so it's it's good when. Um, when we have the, the charities come in and that, that encourages a bit more support. And there's a lot of other things we're doing. Kirsty runs you know, a lot of different programs for us and um, you know, really gets our name out there but really helps us get involved with lots of community sides of things. You know. Giving time is the, is the thing we've got to start doing. We haven't actually got too much involved with that yet, but we will do. Brilliant. And Kate, you must be involved. Uh, yeah, I was going to add, you know, when, when you get a bit bigger, they tend to put a sort of three-letter abbreviated acronym onto this, and it's CSR, mm. Corporate Social Responsibility. And I think the key word in there is responsibility, because I think when you're deeply embedded in the communities in which uh, we operate, we've got six uh, offices in six different parts of uh, the region, but we're deeply embedded in those, and we, we don't exist without the support of the community. So I think we have a moral obligation, a responsibility, to put back into the communities in which we have our businesses, and so we invest heavily into this. And it's, it is about brand awareness, yes, of course, but it is about the inclusion that you get out of doing good deeds. From you know, from a firm point of view, we we put a lot of effort and a lot of time and resource into bringing people together, different departments, different offices, different parts of the region, to do good in the communities in which we're operating. And I think it, it, you know, the, the feel-good factor that you get out of that internally pays off many, many times over. Brilliant. Any other questions? Yes, Colin. Uh, Colin Barber, Brentwood Chamber of Commerce. Uh, given this morning the council leader and the new chief executive were talking about attracting uh, new businesses to Brentwood, um, I'd like to ask the panel uh, what it is specifically about doing business in Brentwood which um, makes it, um, your business more successful. Is there anything particular about Brentwood which you find is really good for business? I'd like to take that one. Go, Matt. You're really... <laughs> so, um, starting up in Brentwood for us was obviously a personal choice because I live here. Um, not originally from here, but um, uh, we've, we've lived here now for 14 years. But being involved in the different aspects of Brentwood and seeing how it's evolved just over those last 14, 15 years has been you know, really interesting. And I think for us, we also saw that there was, a, there was a gap in the market for a proper creative brand agency to be able to support the different uh, levels of businesses that are from, from startups and entrepreneurs to well-established um, brands 
and organisations. They need that creative support that's uh, aligned with their marketing and uh, their communication strategies. And we found that actually we can pitch ourselves at a level that is a lot more competitive than the London agencies, um, but providing that experience and that background um, and that knowledge and expertise that they have hands-on um, uh, ability to, to be part of. So um, we've actually seen loads of different opportunities, and, and, and it's great to see... Also, there's a lot of, we found a lot of people have worked in London at different organisations and then are moving back locally to do a sort of similar thing, start up a new company or join together in a partnership. And it's those, it's working with them to see how their idea, their ambitions can grow from a brand perspective. So there's masses of opportunity and obviously with the, um, the, the, the launch and the announcement today of the... Um, Brentwood D Development Partnership. It's exciting times for Brentwood and uh, whether you're in a small niche area or much of part of a, a larger organisation, uh, it is exciting. So Ashton, how much part of Merger and Wortley Buyers is about location or was it just about the fit of, the, of, the, of their company with yours? From a geographical point of view, it worked really well for us because of we, we've got the office in Chelmsford, which we've had uh, for, for quite a number of years. Uh, and obviously the A12 link, we talked, it was talked earlier on about the links, the, the fantastic uh, transport links that are around here. So linking those two offices together was a, was a big thing for us because it gave us a um, you know, significant Essex footprint. Mm -hmm. And of course, all the things that Matt said there about you know, the draw out of London. People often sort of say, oh, well, we've got the threat of London. We're good. People are going to migrate into London and we're going to lose people. Actually, I see exactly the, the world as you do. People who are, life circumstances change. They've done the London thing. They want better life, uh, work-life balance. Coming out to a place like Brentwood is a fantastic opportunity. So all of those things played into our thinking. Um, you know, obviously, worldly buyers have been here 50 years. They were well entrenched and we were just able to put our two brands together and, 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 you know, hopefully over many years we'll reap the benefits of that geographical position. Yeah. Any other questions? Just actually on Colin's point, I mean, the, um, one of the big major advantages we found with moving to Brentwood, we moved to Brentwood eight years ago from Walthamstow, and um, it's, it's been... Oh, sorry, I didn't realise that. You've only been here eight years. Yeah, eight ah. years. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we moved in... Um, uh, moved in 2011 um, and that really was a, a massive lift off for our business. Um, Walthamstow was good in, but it was old buildings um, and it was, you know, you talk about communication links, you try getting lorries down through some of the streets mm -hmm. in, um, in Walthamstow was, was getting worse and worse and the traffic was getting worse. But the, the key thing was the staff. It was, it was, you put an advert out for a job when we was in Walthamstow and the quality of the people that you, you get through the door was, was a big, big problem. As soon as we moved to Brentwood, um, I mean, literally, before we'd even moved into the building, we were refurbishing the building and we, we knew that we needed um, three or four admin staff, so we put a few adverts out and we must have had 60 or 70 CVs, and usually when we used to, we were lucky if we used to get three or four CVs, um, and they were all generic CVs that mm -hmm. we used to get when we was in Walthamstow. Uh, when we got them in, in Brentwood, um, literally we started going through the pile and we said, well, we don't need to look at any more you know, 
this, I've found someone, this, this, this one would be perfect, this, this person would be perfect, this person would be perfect. And that was the whole way through the list. We, we had trouble sort of you know, narrowing that down. There, there's, there's good people, there's good hard-working people in, in, in Brentwood. Yeah, Essex people are, are go-getters, they're winners. You know, they're, they're the sort of people they want to do well. So, um, yeah, there's, there's good schools, you know, you get good education. Yes, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they here, you know, they'll want to be going off to university. They'll, um, you know, they'll be looking for high-flying jobs in the city and all the rest of it. But that's not everybody. And it's still that next level down of the guys are, are good, you know, they're good people, you know, and they're, they're of good stock. So it's... Um, so I think that has made the, 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 the biggest difference to us. And I think that's one of the, the key things if, if businesses are looking to come to this area. You know, there's, there's a lot of good people here. That, that's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't realise that, you know, just even the last eight years you've seen such a, the, the, not a massively geographically huge move, but it's made such a difference. And as yeah. we're all talking about, everyone we're talking about staff, aren't we? Without, yeah, well, without staff in the business. Um, you know, obviously, young creatives, the draw of London, Soho, Clerkenwell is, is massive. But um, our, our, uh, a large proportion of our staff are mums. Mm. Uh, we've been able to put in a really um, adaptive, flexible working environment, basing the business technology to, um, from a technology point of view around a cloud-based system that allows them to work from home um, and allows them to be um, reactionary to their needs. Um, uh, and, and that's worked benefits, because um, you know, heaps and heaps of benefits to us because it's provided that loyalty and it's, um, and it's provided uh, a service from them and also ultimately to our clients that is exceptional, very, very... They've had the London experience. They want Absolutely. to have a work-life balance and you've got all that pool of talent. Brentwood's a place to be. Any other questions? OK. Oh, I've got one quickly. Laurie's doing this. <laughs> that was subtle. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be safe. I'm just going to have one final one sentence from each person on your best top tip on growing a business. And then please do hang around because Davina has made the most delicious honey, Halloween, gingerbread, gingerbread men. They're very good. So quickly, Ashton, what is your top tip? Um, dream big and find a way to make it happen. Oh, I like that a lot. Go, Matt. Uh, be true to yourself and... Uh, be loyal to your staff. That has absolutely come across today, actually, from the whole panel, which is wonderful. What would you say, Steve? A bit boring, but understand your costs. I see so many people and businesses fail because people don't understand their costs. Okay, that is a bit boring, so, but it's I probably know. the really super good piece of advice. <laughs> I like that one, because ultimately you can be as nice as you like employ people, but if you haven't got your costs worked out, it doesn't matter. Davina, what is your top tip? Find the best people you can and look after them. Brilliant. It's all about people, isn't it, and costs? Um, thank you so, so much. A big thank you to my guests. They have been wonderful. And I just really, really sharing what they've been doing. So um, a huge round of thanks to the wonderful people on stage.